This is Mike Davis with Lovecraft Easing, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey, everybody. It's Saturday night, Microphones of Madness. This is July the 9th, 2016, and we will be talking the second half of Urban Temples of Cthulhu. Uh, an anthology published by First United Church of Cthulhu and edited by Kurt Cade. Uh, but first, it's been one fucking hell of a week. And yeah. um, I think we're going to start this broadcast with a brief moment of silence uh, for all the victims of police violence and the victims of murder against police officers in Dallas this week as well. So, if you join me. All right. Thank you, guys. So, last time we did the first half, um, and you know, it's 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 kind of a, a weird twist to, twist in that the second half we've discovered is much stronger than the first half. Um, so it's almost like this anthology is kind of a sleeper. You, yeah, you go into yeah, you go into it and you're like, oh, this is kind of mediocre. And then we got to the second half, and I think out of the nine in the second half, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six out of the nine, nine of the second half, I, I really kind of really enjoyed. Um, I went first last time. So this time we're throwing it off to Steve. All right. Well, Pokemon Go, a curious little app. Oh, sorry. We can do a show on Pokemon Go if you want. I don't feel like wasting my bandwidth dealing with it. Um, okay, so I agree, actually. Most of these stories were, were good. I mean, not like good in comparison with the first half, but actually good stories. Um, it was a lot less... A lot of these stories were a lot less there for shock value, mm-hmm. I think, and more well-constructed tales that still were... Off, I guess, off the beaten Cthulhu path, right? And they weren't, but but had enough of the of the the beats and the tropes that you knew where you were mm-hmm. in terms of story. And um, only a couple of them stumbled because of it. I mean, it's it's well trod material, and if you're not careful you get into the realm of super predictability because there's a very limited amount of things that happen in these Cthulhuist Lovecraftian weird tales. 
-hmm. And um, there, a couple of them fell into that category, but not really to the complete detriment of the story. The, the writing was much better in this half. I think we had a lot more um, authors that had more just experience in this half than in the first half. Okay. What did you think, Kim? Uh, pretty much everything Steve just said. Yeah, it was. These were a lot better. Um, better writing. There was. Um, yeah, there was a lot that was that was good as opposed to just uh, there. You know, mm -hmm. only only a couple of them were like meh. Some of them were actually really really good. Yeah. Um, one and of the things I, that I, I've I, noticed. Go ahead. I'm glad, that I, I'm glad that I stuck with it. Uh, let me just put that out there. Yeah, you had no choice. Well, for <laughs> you guys. Sure, we had a choice. I'm the one that does the scheduling. I could have scheduled anything. <laughs> so yeah, one thing I wanted to add is that you know you guys you guys brought up more experienced writers, um, and I don't think it's like. The, the writers of the first half had less experience. I think they just had less experience with this type of material because there were a few authors in the first half who had quite a few credits. Um, but once we got into the second half, we started seeing more writers with Lovecraftian credits, weird fiction credits, that sort of thing. So I think we got, got into a, a group of writers that, that knew the territory. Right. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to add that there are two stories in this in the second half that actually kind of go the comedy route, which was not only surprising, it was refreshing, and you know I I certainly got a kick out of that because because I like to see different things done and. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely seeing some more comedic pieces in a in a effectively an Aeonist uh, anthology was uh, was really nice, and and I, I thought uh, doorstepping was particularly relevant uh, current season. Yeah, I, it's funny. I don't know if that was when it was actually written if it was before the current unrest. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but it, it definitely it, it it it's very timely in terms of Brexit and um trillery we'll call it. Trillery? Yeah, I mean that's trillery. Trillery. It's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Trillery. So. Migo, Migo for president. Think pink, y'all. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I will say that uh, this was done in 2016. You can see uh, the copyright. Right. Or the, uh, the copyright page. So maybe oh, it was done with that in mind. Well, it was British politics too, so they probably it was probably written uh, in the run-up to the Brexit vote and and various other things. Who knows? Uh, maybe maybe the author will contact us and give us a little background. Well, well, wouldn't the copyright page of this just be? That's when the anthology published. Yeah. 
so you don't know when it was. Right. It's not a reprint because the reprint would have a credit right. when it first appeared. Yeah. And it would have a, a copyright date for that as opposed to right. All right. So uh, you guys want to just uh, talk about what your particular standouts were, or do you want to just go down the list? We can go down the list. Yeah. All right. Uh, Uncle Lovecraft. I like that one. Steve? It's cute. Um, I thought it was cool. It was kind of a, a new, a, a, I guess, a updating of the King in Yellow kind of thing. Kind of using, like King in Yellow, yeah? Yeah, using uh, that, that uh, what do they call that? The found footage. Found footage. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing, one thing that stood out to me about that one is that it seemed like a variation of the Candle Cove creepypasta, uh, which, one, is, is it's interesting to see a variation of creepypasta, you know, which is a, an internet-only form of, of horror writing, make its way into something that's a little, in, into a, a, an anthology, even, even if it does have a Lovecraft spin. But it, it, yeah, it did. I was reading it, and it, it just jumped out at me. It's like, wow, that's ex almost exactly the way Candle Cove works. And even that, that's that's one of the better creepypastas out there, I think, because of the whole you know, found footage thing. It's an artifact of the early television era, and it's just kind of that that the the weird of the modern world sort of thing, right? Rather than it being um, you know, some old artifact or ancient site, you know, antediluvian right. stuff. It's something involving modern technology, current pop culture, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. you know, it struck me as having uh, smatterings of the ring. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a little bit of that, that sort of element in there. Um, you know, that pretty much anybody who watches the invocation ends up going mad. Uh, yeah, you know, definite... Uh, Definite little nod there. Um, I would say that, okay, this is actually a question I wanted to pose, pose to you guys. Okay. Who thought of the Uncle Lovecraft sitcom, and when they were describing the actor, who was picturing Lehman Kessler? Me. <laughs> With, you know, and... I'm, you know, Lehman Kessler is he's, he's a great guy. We love him to death. And he's, he has that the air of he would be great as a sitcom. Uh, he would probably, you know, Ask Lovecraft in some respects is a very short sitcom. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, they, they when they describe the opening title sequence, I, I see Lehman walking up to the door with the suitcase, and it's the theme from Too Many Cooks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wishing that somebody would actually make this thing. Yeah. You know, so I can honestly see this kind of thing happening, like at a Necronomicon somewhere, where people are passing around videos and saying, "You gotta watch this." You gotta watch this. I gotta watch yeah, this. Yeah, awesome. If you're watching, and we know you aren't, and we we know you aren't, but we know you do listen occasionally. Make Uncle Lovecraft. Just just do it. Yeah. Talk to author David Accord and get a Kickstarter going. Right. Make it one episode of Uncle Lovecraft. 
You don't even have to make the whole episode, just the opening title and the seconds of it. That's true. That's true. Make a make a copy of this of this supposed video. That would be great. It would become yeah. the new Necronomicon. Would. Be awesome. All right. So start uh, our own urban legend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next story was uh, Strange Communion. Which I think Steve had mentioned in, in one of the chats prior to the show that it had a vibe of uh, Eyes Wide Shut. I did say that. Um, this is one of the ones that kind of was... It wasn't horrible. It just didn't really do anything for me. Right. Yeah, this was one of the meh ones. Um, you know, it... it it was a, a nice story as far as stories go, but really there was no great horror and the matter-of-factness about the cult I think kind of was detrimental in this case mm-hmm. as as opposed to like uh, the one in Cthulhu Sattva uh, where that was like the brilliance of the story. Right. This one is kind of, uh, eh. Okay, and I kind of felt bad for Greg. Yeah, poor Greg. He went out like a punk. Yeah, I mean, what the hell? Yeah. You know, I, I think this this story, this is this is another story we mentioned in the first half that a couple of these, um, one of the detriments was the length of the story. That as, as a no- novelette or a novella, or something like that. These these stories would have been better. I think Strange Communion is one of those stories that a longer treatment would make a more interesting story. Possibly because it does it does kind of rush you along to the conclusion and with the matter of factness of the cult and and whatnot and really her involvement, the main character's involvement with the cult. I mean, it's kind of like a brief flashback of how it started. Yeah, and nothing really happens to her. She gets what she wanted. I was waiting for her, for the tables to be turned on her. Right. You know, yeah, where she too. would become the sacrifice. Or, you know... She sort of did. But not really. Sort of, she but just not really, yeah. had sex with the reanimated corpse of her dead husband. <laughs> like like the, you do. Like you do. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> Yeah, it was just the, the detachment of everything, you know? Yeah. Because well, there was I, I no think... whole lot of emotional hook to get you interested and keep you interested. It's like right, all these things right. are happening to her, it's all very mechanical, and mm-hmm. she has occasional thoughts about these things, but then, eh, whatever. Well, Let's just... uh, I think in, in, in that case, that's one of the, the foibles of the third-person narration. Well, I guess... That your narrator is detached from the situation. And that is the eyes wide shut part of it. Not the whole ritual of it, but just the matter of factness and the almost like just blase nature of this blasphemous cult. <laughs> and they're like, like they're boring list. people. <laughs> Even like the menacing Carlos was boring. He was a boring guy. They don't really have many muscles in their arms, you know, they're just like, Hello, we're the cult. Come join us. Not, I mean, it's gonna be re- cool. Remember, remember the scene 
in uh, Legends of Tomorrow where they where they uh, broke up the cult. It was like really early. It was like the second or third episode. Where they drank Carter's blood. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, the death of Carter. That was the second episode. And it was kind of like, uh, okay, it's a cult, but it's like a lame cult. Right. (laughs) It was like guys in suits. Right, guys in suits and stuff like that. You know, They weren't really menacing. No. And and you never, the, the threat was like Vandal Savage, but not like the cultists were like, Wow, who cares? <laughs> wow, who cares? Uh, and, you know, of course, our... <laughs> but then again, you know, how can you have a cool cult in a show where Captain Cold is one of the heroes? That's true. Mm. So, um, yeah, well, you have the... people who worship Captain Cold, and then they'd be cool by definition. We are the cult of cold. Cool. Hmm. No, cold. Yeah. Um, next up is Death in the Sunset. I thought that was one of the best ones. First one. You like that one? That was, yeah, I liked one. it. I did. Hey, it um, wasn't on my favorites list, point. but uh, yeah, it was it was it was interesting. It was a little bit different. More of a another Charles Ashton Smith. Creation, and There was only one thing that didn't work for me, and that was the very ending. How do you narrate that? <laughs> well, ask Lovecraft, because that's how his story yep. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's. that's and uh, it was a three-lobe die ending. Yeah, that was a uh, hand. The hand, <laughs> hand, the window. Um, it was. It's funny because it was basically the same story as along the shore of Northridge. Right. But it was a better story. Oldridge. Oldridge. Was it Oldridge? Yeah, I believe so. Oldridge, yep. All right. Well, it was a better story than Oldridge. Yeah. But it was basically the same story, which kind of makes me want to ask, why was that other story in this book? Yeah. Um, I had similar criticism of the fact that there are like three or four stories in the book that are involved repurposed Catholic churches. Mm-hmm. And they're basically the same story. Right. And I guess I mean, just as a whole, not individual story, that seems to be kind of a, a weakness in the editing. Yeah, but you know, that that also kind of fits with the theme. That's true, but I mean that you know one of the one of the things that you think about when you think about an urban temple is that yeah there are a lot of churches um, in various states of decay and whatnot, particularly Catholic churches. Oh, there are. They have they've had troubles and they've had to mm-hmm. sell off a lot of their properties. Right. You know, and and yeah, and I guess and I guess that's one of the things that helps with the mood though, because if you had you know, a uh, uh, Cthulhu cult or whatnot operating out of, uh, say, like this non non denominational church up the road for me that's in an old theater, or you know some of these other churches that are that, you know fill up storefronts and whatnot. You know, it just doesn't lend to the same kind of ambiance as walking into a repurposed Catholic church 
and it being you know the stained glass and the pews and mm-hmm. well they take the stained glass out I've been in enough Catholic churches that are that are being sold or rented to other people they take all the iconography out that blows well, they basically the... they literally it's they profane the church <laughs> The new people the do, do the diocese take out the stained glass. No, the diocese does it. Right. Well, I mean, that's like... Sense. I mean, these are treasures. Well, yeah, no, they, have, they, have to, they have to profane the church as well. They can't have the holy objects inside In the, building. the building when it's no longer being used as a Catholic church. Wow, gotcha. The fuckers. So, trust... I've, I've done enough enough jobs in old churches to know yeah. that's how it works. And, so. and speaking of speaking of that, we come to the the next story. Uh, I, I did kind of like Death in the Sunset. It you know it it went on from the almost kind of a detective story almost to to a to an action piece. Yeah. Which you don't see a lot in in mythos stories. Is you know there there are a few writers out there that do kind of action adventure types of things with uh, Robert E. Howard. Robert E. Howard. Uh, I think some of uh, William Meikle's stories. Fritz Lieber. Yeah, are more action adventure oriented. Um, yeah. So so yeah, that was kind of an interesting take. I still wasn't on my list of the best. Um, we get to one that I've marked as a favorite, and it, it ties in with what you were saying about the churches, the abomination of St. Jude. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's I, so unfair. You don't even get to go insane. You no. You go the opposite. You go the opposite. You become completely sane. I actually remarked that maybe this is how the Joker got his origin. Mm-hmm. Grant Morrison's version of the Joker. Right, right. Um... I don't know. I don't know if I like the idea of Cthulhu or whatever um, using people as a cosmic MRE in his battle against the bigger horror. Mm. Right. I don't know. I, I. But that's me. I have that problem of devouring people. Trope. I just. <laughs> You have a problem well, with devouring people? No, with the, with the <laughs> trope. But yeah, that too. The, the first the, the first to be eaten. It's all in the spices. Right. And you know, yeah, he's 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 feeding he's feeding off the main character's psychic energy. Yeah. Which he needs that per he needs that person to remain sane, but in order to forge the connection he has to actually reveal the quote unquote truth. Right. To them, and what we see is that Cthulhu is on one side of this war with creatures that, you know, foot soldiers that are the size of a fucking galaxy. Right. You know, which I thought that was really cool when they when they started throwing that scale in there. And, you know, yeah, they say, one, that, you know, I've seen the face of the enemy, but, you know, it doesn't really say... Is that that one side is good and one side is evil? It's just these these two factions are at war, and we're just kind of 
you know, doing our part uh, speeds. Stuck on the ass end of one side. Stuck on the ass end of one side, and we're just cows. You know, they they're bivouacking in a in a cattle on a cattle ranch, and they're just. Right, but what cattle. they promise you is so great. You get to see the universe and blah blah blah. Well. we'll yeah. Um. Now, now, did the priest in this story? Did it? In I guess it was because Ted Wally posted a picture of him with Clancy Brown. But uh. Yeah, yeah. The priest in this story was was portrayed by Clancy Brown in my head. Uh, no, which, he, he was uh, the the Father Cornello from Full Metal Alchemist in my mind. In your mind? Well, see, I've I've never watched Full Metal Alchemist all the way through. That's your problem. Well, it's the beginning. He's in like the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. It's still it. your problem. <laughs> Any thoughts on the, Any more thoughts on that one, Kim? Um, no, no. I enjoyed it. It was good. Sucks that you can't even go mad. But, yeah. Good story. Well done. Alright, next one on the list is a writer we've encountered before. Uh, the story is Fleshbound Shadow Sun. And I forgot to write down the name, but uh, the author was also in Cthulhu Lies Dreaming. M.S. Swift. M.S. Swift? Yes. Yeah. The and author of Wake My Lord in Almost Cthulhu Lies Dreaming. Almost the exact same story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, from, I thought it was familiar. But it was from Shit. the POV of the madman on the beach this time. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and they... Swift did some really odd things with the perspective in the beginning. Yeah. Where it's you know you're looking through the madman's eyes, but the madman's also narrating as a third person. Yeah, that was kind of weird. It was it was kind of weird. Well, I was getting jarring. the crap beat out of him by a couple of frat boys. Right, which you know that's that's one of the things that kind of struck my attention. There was was just the the kind of jarringness of the uh, the narration and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it got my attention. It was definitely it was it was unique style mm-hmm. that that none of the other authors even approached. And I, I thought, you know, I got it marked as one of my on my favorites because Wake My Lord was one of my favorites in CLD uh, <laughs> because it was because it was trippy and, and odd. Yeah, it is that. And and this story is is trippy and and odd and just kind of. It's wild. It's a it's it's a wild little ride. You know what's funny is I finished the story and I didn't particularly like this story, and I and I finished it. and I was like, you know, that reminds me of that story in Cthulhu Live Dreaming that I didn't like. And then um, I read the author credits and I was like, oh crap, it is that story. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's almost like a a sequel or a variation on that story, like a. It's like the point of view of the of the madman on the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. His kind of his origin story. Yeah, kind of his origin story. Almost in in some ways almost seems like a sequel or a prequel of sorts. I think it would be a prequel because yeah, I think uh, there was doom at the end of the other one. Right. There was doom at the end of the other one and the 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 carrier of the madness actually uh, transfers in this story. Yes. 
That was so, a, a cool, odd little ceremony. I, I thought that bit was was cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dragging the the corpse out of the river. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. It was just the whole thing was just kind of little. It was creepy. It was surreal, kind of trippy. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that made me like it. All right, and we mentioned this earlier. We mentioned this one. Uh, the next one on the list is doorstepping. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about that a little bit at the beginning, and yeah, I, I thought it was—I thought it was funny, you know. Just, it was, especially after the weirdness of flesh, fleshbound shadow sun. It was just like a jolt. Yeah, it was kind of a jolt because it starts out, you know, it's—it starts out, and you're thinking that it's going to be. Okay, well, you know, it's gonna start out another mundane guy, you know, doing his thing and shit happens to it. And then it just takes this turn toward the absurd a little bit, you know, knock on the um, door. I didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, it's like, hey, they got a point. I'm amigo, I'm canvassing for the amigo party. Yeah. My MP is amigo. Yes. Right, and this would be a perfect episode of Uncle Lovecraft. Oh my gosh, it would. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. It's what happens when Delta Green fails. <laughs> ah, yes. So yeah, that was that was kind of a a, a funny one, and. Uh, the next one we have, Saturday Night at the Esoteric Order of Dagon. Uh, it's another Innsmouth story, but one that's play, played for laughs, a little, you know, quite a bit. And I believe the, um, uh, I, I keep forgetting to write the authors down. Jill Hand. Notes. Jill Hand. Jill Hand, I believe, is a comedy writer. Well, this was yeah. actually yeah, the one I liked the most out of the second half. Yeah, it was it was a really good story. It, Go ahead, it, Kim. It would be my favorite, except for the fact that it just dragged a little bit in places. I thought. I mean, most of it was really, really well done. I love the I love the ending. I love the fact that they get saved by their own their own deity. Kalima. Kalima, yes. I love the dynamic of it. It's, it's two women. One of them is black. She's Indian. Indian. Yeah. Well, Indian is black, right? No, Indian is Indian. Oh, whatever. <laughs> South Asian. I loved most of it, except for that little those little bits where it dragged along. That's the only thing that was wrong yeah. with it, in my opinion. Otherwise, it's a really good story. Yeah, uh, you know the whole the whole sequence where. The, the constable and the other cultists come in to kidnap them. And it, it just turns into this, like, dumb redneck scene. Yeah. You know, where where the, the cultists are actually incompetent. If, if uh, Mayberry was in his mouth. Right, right. And horrible. It's old. Right, and then it, then, then it took a twist for, for the horror... But you're not really horrified by it because the the, the rest of the tone was was so um, was so funny 
that it's like, okay, you're waiting for the next gag. You're waiting for the next gag. You're waiting for the next gag. And then Kali shows up and... Uh, oh. See, but the thing, that, the thing about the gags in this, they were well-placed and mm-hmm. natural to the writing of it. It wasn't yep. forced. Mm-hmm. Right, they weren't forced gags. It, it was dark side of the of a um, pink Cadillac or whatever it was. Dark side of the old Oldsmobile. It wasn't like, ugh, like that. It was, it was funny because how many times have you watched Spongebob and looked at Squidward and going, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's fucking Cthulhu. <laughs> That's funny. It was it was cool. Nice. It was well placed references that kind of make you chuckle. Right. Bean me up. Yeah. Uh, the the Deus Ex Maxima at the end kind of was a little weak, and the willful willful ignorance of the narrator with the sperm donor was also a little weak. But other than that, it was a really good story. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was good enough. It was good enough throughout that you know you can overlook some of the shortcomings. Right. And and I think some of it, once again, might be, you know, edited you know, edited for time. Yeah, that's true. You know, we're, we're talking about we're talking about. It seems that the word count on these stories was kept very strict. Right. And yes, yeah, so in some in some places you get kind of this awkward. Well, kind of like it seems like it, it's you know bumped along a little bit more than it should be probably to make the word count. Now there have been other in Smouth um, stories that were played for laughs, right? Like uh, Neil Gaiman's written two, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shug Peculiar, and then uh, the End of the World again, right? And I save the ending. I put this up there with that. There you go. And that's Neil fucking Gaiman, so... Yeah. Hey. Yeah, he's like... Up he, there. King hotshot shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mr. Captain Overrated. I like Neil Gaiman, so... Oh, bite no. your tongue, sir. I've... You know, I've what I've liked, I've, what I've read, I've liked, and, and he seems like a nice guy, but, you know, I don't... You know me, I don't really understand adulation. Yeah, to each their own. I think I'm getting attacked by my daughter every time I swear. Oh, uh-oh. I'm going to test this fucking theory. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> All right. Now, here we go. The next story on the list is probably one of the longest titles I've ever read. Oh, my gosh. City of Our Lady, Queen of Angels, Virgin Mother of a Thousand Young. Yeah. That's That's a really long title. But this is a this is another uh, Catholicism related story, but not exactly a repurposed church, but uh, an, an esoteric cult within the Catholic Church, or possibly the pre-purposed church. That's true. Yeah, because the, that's that's the whole point of the story is that he finds this connection. Between this this older goddess figure and and you know the Lady of Guadalupe. This of all the repurposed church stories, the 
I think there's four of them or five. Mm-hmm. This is the best one, I think, by far. Right. And it even it totally took that whole trope that the rest of them were following, you know, right. bit by bit, and turned it on its side. Yeah, because the the guy doesn't doesn't convert in this one. He doesn't convert, and the purpose of the cult is not to bring back the old ones. It's no, it's like, to keep no. them away. It's the Eric Zan of asleep. repurposed church cults. Yep. <laughs> exactly, and that that was an interesting spin on it as well. Is that you know? Now I'm assuming I'm assuming that. Uh, you know, all the references are, are equating um, Chevy uh, to to this um, yeah I'm, Aztec, I suppose, deity. Yeah, well, that and the Virgin Mary, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, this is this. I think this is what uh, that was a theme that was brought up in in Cthulhu Sapa as well with with uh, Shubnagorath. Um, being more of a, a mother goddess and a protector deity rather than, you know, I'm going to eat you all and kill the planet, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but I think part of that is because it's the only one that um, identifies female off the bat. Right. And then there's also, yeah, the, the picture at the beginning of the story. I'm holding up a picture that says, Ia, Shab Nagarus. Mm-hmm. With a woman um, in ecstasy, hands up, church ecstasy, kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, I, I I liked this one. I, I liked the aspect of um, you know the the theology professor in his investigation and and uncovering like parallel symbolism and things like that. Um, Which is only every Lovecraft story ever. But you know it's done really well. It, it is done really well, but yeah, it's it's, it's just a little different though because the nuns were, were creepy. The nuns yeah. were creepy. You know, it was the nuns. the, the tapestry. Yeah, the, the tapestry scene where he's walking through the the and he discovers all that all the nuns are blind. Right. And they all turn yeah. to look at him at once. You yeah. really can't. You know that that was that was a little on the creepy side. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was a human creepiness that didn't rely on, uh, you know. Well, there was ab- humanity's primal fears, like insects, in the one story. Well, there was absolutely nothing like like that happening in that story. There were creepy right. trees. There were creepy nuns. Right. Um, but the the. The ceremony was in Latin and in um, language, of the, yeah, language of the Aztecs. Narwhal. They did it in narwhal. Narwhal. Mm. Um, you Spear tooth death it, dolphin. Could it, it, it's one of those things. Could it have been correct? Could it have been just a bunch of freaks in L.A.? Yeah. So you didn't have the the reveal of the tentacle thing. Right. Yeah. 
all of that type of stuff was purely iconography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in your mind, because when we mentioned this last week, chances are if you picked up Urban Temples of Cthulhu, it ain't your first dance. Right. So you are going to have expectations about what what goes on in a, in a Lovecraftian tale. Right. And I think the, the better stories so that in, in this anthology have all played to that, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, taken those tropes and, and kind of given them a nice little twist to kind of curtail your expectations. Right. All the elements were there. They were done really well. There was good voice overall. And yeah, good story. All right, we come to the final story, uh, the Warm Red Sea, or just Warm Red Sea. And uh, I think Kim really enjoyed this one. You know nothing about me. It's by Jape Bukestein. Or Bukestein. He's Irish, right? Correct. Yeah. Sure. It's from Borneo. Hey, isn't nothing wrong with Borneo? Borneo is a nice place. There's nothing wrong with Ireland. I think he's uh, from Sweden. God, wouldn't you like to know what's wrong with Ireland, son? Yeah, pig <laughs> They're all pig fuckers. Watch out, pig fuckers. <laughs> uh, he is from... He's Dutch. I was close. Uh-huh. Yeah, Holland, Borneo. <laughs> no, I said Sweden when I was being serious. Well, oh. you know, the Dutch actually probably invaded <laughs> Borneo a couple of times. Maybe, yeah, you might be right. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Yeah, Still man. trying to recover from the plague. Um, probably yeah, so... Paul Mall, motherfucker. Our apologies to any of our viewers or listeners who are trying to quit. Not at all. <laughs> um, all right, well, Kim. Yeah, we're going to throw this oh, one gosh. to you. Gosh, what do you think? Yes, I liked it. It was fun, it was sexy, it was sensual. We had... Uh, Every possible element. Uh, it's got fetishes. It's got visual shamanic journeys. It's got real world mysteries. I mean, yeah, it's a hell of a story. Loved it. Steve, it's not my not my bag. Yeah. That's my line. All right, it's not my thing. I, you know, I, I, it's the same problem I had with the with the stories in uh, Cthulhu Sapa that were were about sexual horror. It just doesn't doesn't do it for me. So doesn't do it for you. No. Yeah, I I think it kind of dragged out a little bit in the scenes that uh, didn't involve her journeys. You know, it was like 
the journeys were so well written, mm-hmm. and and even even to a point the the more erotic scenes before the journeys, which are which are kind of vague. They're not explicit no, in any not. way. No. Um, you know those were those were so well written. The you know the the dream sequences or the journeying sequences themselves are very well written. That really you don't care what happens when she comes back. It's like she comes back and is like, oh, and we had toast the next day. Hey, I brought a rock back with me. I brought a rock back. I'm gonna sell the rock. We I sold the rock. rock and made lots of money. Really, a rock. And that's the kicker about this whole thing. The whole thing was a money-making scheme. Yeah. And yet yeah, it, it turned into to... this great big life journey, and it's. Just... Yeah, the whole the whole thing was to, to to journey to these these outer realms, steal something or obtain some artifact, and come back. Nothing specific, just anything they could sell. Yeah. Come back, and it's you know, and make a pile of money, and that's that's exactly what they did. Yeah. You know, she got a little bit more out of it. Um, yeah. I did kind of like the scene at the end. The graphic novel is going to be written by Alan Moore. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, uh, everything is consensual in this story, so it's not going to be written by right. Alan Moore. Right. You know, I, I, I think, I think Gail Simone could script this into a, a wonderful graphic novel. I, I think it's just right up her alley. Yeah, but yeah, I think this, this probably, you know. Speaking of graphic novels, I think this one would would could stand, um, you know, someone to come along and and illustrate some of these sequences. The the visual details were really quite quite stunning. I could I could see what was happening to her as I was reading it. Mm-hmm. I would could, I could like see everything, almost like I was there. Yeah, and and, and even while even like. Stuff of, at the beginning where she's being branded over and over again. That was like the one thing I didn't like about it was physical torture. I, I, I am not into physical torture. I'm stating that for the record. For the record. For the record. Guys, I'm not a sadist. I, I'm not. But that was a necessary element. And it was really well done. And as we said before, it's not explicit. And that's really the only reason that I could let that little bit go. And, and speaking of Gail Simone, I just got a message that uh, she's trolling Arrow fans on Twitter as we speak. You <laughs> <laughs> know what Robbie rather be doing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, you know, a lot of great visual work here. Um, you know, more or less interesting storytelling. Uh, with the exception of the mundane stuff, really kind of being overshadowed by by the by the throw the ecstasy scenes, which you know it's like yeah let's you know, you know screw what you had for breakfast let's get back let's get back to more more ecstasy yeah. let's get back let's get back to to Rouillet and see what happens. But then it becomes almost like a drug that you can't shake. Yeah. Now of course I I have to admit that this did not make my list of favorite stories because. Because of those sequences where it did seem to drag along a little bit, but yeah, I, you know, I can I can appreciate it, and I think it was a, a you know, especially with the end and the guy going to see the the, the special, uh, I guess 
the special dominatrix, I guess, would be her official title. You know, to to learn the technique himself, so he can he can find her again because she yeah. left. She decided to stay. So he wanted to. He, he's trying to learn the technique to go, and it just kind of like it, it it ends the book, but you know that the stuff just keeps on going. And that's that's an interesting way of looking at it, you know. It's 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 the way Cthulhu Saba ended, you know, with kind of the a... narrator saying, "You don't know me," you know, mm-hmm. Randolph Carter, and the the story ends, but you know that that line of thought and that that storyline continues after that, and you can you know, kind of carry it on in your head. You know, it it kind of reminded me of the end of. Uh... Hellraiser, mm-hmm. where the you know the puzzle box is back with the guy, box. with the guy, and it goes on to the next one. Right, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, now that we finished this anthology, I'm gonna say you know, if if you don't know about it, go ahead and go ahead and give this one a buy. It's it's um, pretty affordable as a Kindle book. Uh, I believe it's only like maybe eleven, twelve dollars as as a hard copy. Um, you know, and you you've read all the other big titles. Give this little one a go. You know, it's I I think it's I think it's worth the money for the second half. You know, and there there are a few stories in the first half that that I enjoyed. Um, maybe not so much Kim and Steve, but uh, yeah, the second half of the book. I think really, it really is what's what sells it. So yeah, I mean, you've read everything else. Pick it up. Uh, this, like like we keep saying, the stories are short. You could probably spend a weekend on you know, in your lawn chair, just reading through. Yeah, I think the longest story was like seventeen pages long. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I was yeah. able to finish the last story just before we got on. Today. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I, I I read six of the last nine uh, this morning. So, but yeah, it's it is it's a quick read. Um, it does you know it's it it it, it is familiar ground. Uh, the tropes hit in the right places for the most part. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a good little you know weekend read, a pool read, or something like that. Um. Yeah, and and you know you'll you'll be entertained. I think it's got some risque pictures in it. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the artwork going on in there because you know a lot of times you don't have a book with this much interior art. Uh, but right. each story, you know, there's there's a there's book in uh, artwork on you know at the beginning and the end of each story. Right. So there's two pieces of art in between each story um, usually yeah it's an illustration that, that that carries into the theme of the next story right um, yeah what do you guys think of that I mean some it was hit and miss some of it was good yeah some, some of it was was trying too hard again like the McDonald's happy meal with the Necronomicon symbol on it of oh, the uh, McDagons yeah at the very end Yes. 
Yeah, it it kind of it kind of gave me a vibe of like uh, yeah that style of artwork that you see in like Church of the Subgenius and stuff like that. Yeah, like '80s punk rock albums. Yeah, kind of kind of that and. But but overall, I think the style of the artwork, whether whether you like each individual piece or not, really kind of fit with the vibe of the book too, because it was definitely mm-hmm. kind of on that, you know, the cityscape side, and yeah. and, and did kind of tie into the, the stories themselves. They did have one with my guy in it. I will say. Chagnafon. Yo, Chagnafon. And did you guys find the five hidden howies that are supposedly in there? Uh, no, I didn't even know there were five hidden Howies until I finished the book, and I was like, "Oh man, it's, yeah. it's yeah. kind of to go on." Kind of funny because I, my daughter has a bunch of books I have. I have spot the ducks. <laughs> Got any grapes? Ow! You got wow! You got hit for duck. I don't know. Does that count as a hidden Howie? Um, I don't think that's all that well hidden. Yeah, I don't know if that counts as a hidden Howie, but oh. it might. It might be like the easy one, the you know. There's always yeah, the, the very, easy the one for the idiots. Like at the like very me. tag end, it says, "Have you did you find the five hidden Howies?" So of course you have to go back and look through each and every one trying to find it. I see they're screwing with us. Could be. But you know what? Hey, if it generates interest, go for it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a way to free your mind. Yeah. And yeah, a little, little, little fun little activity once you're done with the book. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. Any any final thoughts, guys? Uh, well, stick with it. You may find something you like. Um, I don't know. Really, uh, yeah. the, uh, the final then. Yash of the Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. <laughs> uh, somebody had to throw Hail Hydra in there, didn't they? All right. Well, in that case, uh, we're gonna we're gonna cut it here. Next week, uh, we will be talking Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, the show was, you know, the season, first season ended a couple months back. Uh, so we're good. Now that pretty much anybody who's going to watch it is probably caught up. <clears throat> yes. Um, On me. Yeah, we're going to do our uh, recap of season one. I want to see how our predictions went. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to line up our predictions from, uh, from watching the first two episodes and compare that with how the entire season worked out. Uh, we'll probably also talk about our hopes for the second season and what we know about that so far. Constantine. <laughs> we'll probably talk about him too because he's he's back uh, in the news. CW Seed is streaming the entire Constantine series, so which means they have the rights to it. Which means that uh, it was very hard to read this book this week, guys. You're competing with John Constantine. I'm telling you. Uh, yeah, so Monday, uh, we'll be back. Monday Night Heroes, I believe we're doing Time to Harvest again. Yep. 
We'll be finishing out Chapter 2, maybe starting on Chapter 3. Uh, Friday Fungi will be back. Shadows of Yogg-Sothoth is over now. Yes, it's over. And in fact, uh, this coming week we're taking a break. Oh, you're taking a break this week. Yes. So no Friday Fungi this no week. No Friday Fungi for you losers. All right. We're so going to yeah. huddle and decide what we want to do for our next adventure. All right. So Friday Fungi will be taking a brief hiatus. Who yes. survived? Uh, Lily's character. Sort of. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll get get this. She lost all her sand. But no. she survived. And according to James, there is a rule that says if your character somehow survives Yogg-Sothoth, she gets to roll D100 to get a certain amount of sand back. And she rolled 81. So she got 81 sand out of this. I can look at that. I have that. Ooh. <laughs> Would you like me to look that up? <laughs> no, we're not, we're not here to do, to do rules <laughs> clarification. That's you not the purpose cackle. of this episode. Um, yeah, so, so once again, Monday night, 9.30 Eastern Time, we'll be doing A Time to Harvest, Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu organized play campaign. Uh, no Friday Fungi on Friday. You guys will have to just go back through and listen to the archives. I'll get those updated this week. And next Saturday, we'll be doing Legends of Tomorrow. So join us then, 9.30 Eastern Time. And until then, say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Gracie, it's time for your nap. A dirt nap. Dun, dun, dun.